It's the Mind Virus Show. Okay, this is Jordan Bruno here, uh, broadcasting from a different state than normal, literally. Uh, I'm on the other side of the country with some friends who are actually listeners of the podcast and doing a little bit of a thrown together introduction, which I'm getting funny looks from from my friends here. They're thinking, okay, what did we sign up for? (laughs) This is is crazy stuff. I just wanted a t-shirt and he shows up my house and invites me on the podcast, so... (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty cool. Closer, closer to the mic there. I've okay. got, I've got uh, TBM with me. Uh, he's a regular, uh, frequent commenter on the uh, on the podcast website. We thank you for your comments. Enjoy it. And uh, Mrs. TBM. Hi. <laughs> Hi. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Good. Good. Uh, yeah. Do we want to disclose what state we're in, or do you guys want to rema- have the state remain anonymous? Haven't fully thought through all the ramifications sure. potentially of that. I think it's okay to reveal it. We'll probably just leak it, yeah. So at some point. So okay, yeah. so we're in New York State. We're uh-huh. almost in Canada. Yes, we're we're so far north. We are almost in the south. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if we were to go all the way around, we'd be back in Antarctica at some point. We're in the the home of statism, and and uh, we we laugh at all of your comments about Spencer Cox because you don't know how good you have it. Really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only Bobby were here. He has mm-hmm. something smart to say about that. <laughs> okay, so anyway, listeners, forgive us for uh, the haphazard nature of the sound editing because Bobby is uh, not with us, and I am literally doing my best here to make sure that our levels are good. I'll go through and edit this later, maybe. But uh, yeah, we're we're following regular Mind Virus show tradition and not starting with an agenda. We are. Mm-hmm. We are going to just go by the seat of our pants and so talk about what's on the minds of uh, Mr. T and Mrs. T <laughs> and uh, just kind of see where the discussion goes. Um, for, for listeners, if you're new, you can find us on the web at mindvirus.show. It's the Mind Virus podcast with normally Jordan Bruno and Bobby Flood. And today is October 10th, 2022. So 10 10 2 2. A very interesting, auspicious number, I hope. Why? <laughs> Why? It just seems symmetrical. Oh, yeah, okay. I don't know. There, uh, there's probably yeah. no real real meaning to that, I guess. But uh, anyway, what do you guys want to talk about? Important cosmic things. You guys you guys uh, like the uh, cosmic side of the Absolutely. discussion? Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Uh, Give me like your top three podcasts. What are what are some of the top three that you've? Uh, the war is that the whole the, title? The or war podcast. The war podcast. Okay, so you you went back and listened to that because you you're a recent listener, right, Mrs. T? Yes. Couple okay. months. Couple months. Okay, so you've done some homework. Very good. Yeah, we. I think the title of that was war we have a greatest hits page up now. If you oh. go to mindvirus.show, you can see that we have several different categories of greatest hits allegories cosmos and spirituality and secret combinations so, mm-hmm. so those seem to be some of the hot topics and we've put down some of our favorite episodes that we've done 
the free guy episode and then episode eight is it oh the one on the uh hidden picture i hidden think is pictures. what that's called uh it's n- an overview of the conspiracy from the last 200 years and you have a uh, a a section in there that goes through conspiracy in the Book of Mormon and secret combination in the Book of Mormon. That was a good treatment of that. Oh, okay. So you like that particular aspect of it? Yes. Okay. And and all the stuff on how JFK shot first and... Uh, <laughs> I don't remember Oswald, that part. Oswald was just defending himself? Yeah. We'll mash up that and Han shot first, but yeah. <laughs> oh, Okay. So uh, you like the one on war. What, what was one of your favorites? Certainly. The or did you say war? The cosmology one is. The, oh, you like the cosmology with, one? With total apologies to Bobby who wasn't there. But <laughs> <laughs> So the four hour yes. long exposition. That was mm-hmm. one of your favorites. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you liked that one. Um, That's my favorite as well, but I thought that was went without saying. Oh, that goes without saying. Okay. Yes. Um. So uh, wh- why was that one so important? For me, I care more about the big picture of the, the universe because, well, politics is basically just a machine for turning our cortisol levels into ad revenue and, and uh, political donations for, for politicians. Okay, so it's just uh, agitation propaganda, stressing you out. It's supposed to keep your mind focused on... Pretty much. It's not like there's much I can do about politics, especially in the great state of New York. Um. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, yeah. I assume you guys are fairly conservative, or would we call ourselves we'll say, conserv- yeah. libertarian? I, I okay. Libertarian. Okay. Yeah. T, you're going to have to quit shaking your head while you okay. talk, <laughs> uh, so we can get uh, we can maintain the integrity of the uh, the audio quality here. No, it's good. I think the listeners will get most of it, but try to keep your okay. um, keep focused on talking into the mic. That's always hard for me. I always mm-hmm. back up and start yelling and laughing. And if we had Joe Rogan's budget, we could have big mics hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> we and, could have, and we could be smoking weed and all that kind of <laughs> stuff at the same time. Is weed expensive? I don't know. I've never tried to buy I've it. Never tried to buy it. I think it's legal in this state, which is Co- good with me. Comment: It's legal in this state. It is legal, I believe. Actually, I don't even know. What about like mushrooms? Uh, I think that's illegal everywhere, but but they also grow in the wild. So. Oh, okay. But I get mine through the mail. Okay. <laughs> is uh, what what if you? I, I know if you eat the wrong mushrooms, you can potentially have a real problem. Yeah. If you smoke the wrong mushrooms, can you have a real problem? I don't problem? think anyone smokes mushrooms. Do you smoke them? You ingest, I don't, you, you ingest you just them. them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't smoke mushrooms. Yeah. 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 yeah Shows how much I know. And if you really want to get, increase their potency, you, you grind them up and drop them in lemon juice for like 20 minutes called lemon teching. And, and, uh, you know a lot about this. I do. I looked into it a lot. Oh, okay. Interesting. But they're illegal. So yes. we would never mm-hmm. no. try that. No, no, we would not. Okay. That is against the, the spirit of the, the word of wisdom and, and might, you know, keep us from having temple recommends and important things like that. Okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, I, I don't know if we want to go there. No, but, we don't. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, so what do you, what do you find um, most interesting about the cosmology discussion? What? Well, it it uh, it definitely turns a lot of things that we've uh, deeply held to to think about on on their heads of, of the question of of again why why is this world the way it is and 
flipping things from being this is all how God wanted it to be. God wanted to kind of torture us to being something where no, there's actually evil that exists independent of God, and this this world is not how it's supposed to be. Like in was it Moses seven, where it says, you know, well, "Well, you can interpret it a lot of ways." Where it talks about uh, um, the uh, uh, this being the most wicked of God's creations. Um, definitely, one interpretation is that this u- world is uniquely evil because of all the the rebellion that's going on and, and that sort of thing. So you're referring to, um, in Moses chapter 7, the Lord explains that this is, uh, I think it's verse 36 here, I've just pulled up. He says, among all the workmanship of mine hands, there has not been so great wickedness among thy brethren. That's the one. That's the one. And the general, I think what you're alluding to is that the general idea in LDS circles, which we all come from an LDS culture. We, let's, I think we can just throw that out there. Uh, both Mrs. T and Mr. T. <laughs> it's nice how you've moved from TBM to Mr. and Mrs. Yeah. T. Uh-huh. I pity the fool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining you with a bunch of gold chains around your neck. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the prevailing gospel doctrine narrative that the correlated narrative that we we've all grown up with is that we're here because god wanted us here in order to progress we needed to come to this world and you had to experience this world in a certain way in order to be tested and then depending on how you handled what was going on here you then either go to a the telestial world b the terrestrial world or c the Celestial or world, outer darkness, right. if you're one of those, or outer darkness, yeah. if you're really bad. if you leave the church, if you leave the church, if you're John Delaney or Bill Real or something. Okay, like so is that official? Those guys are going to outer darkness. One of the drawings, there was that little apostasy path that goes into outer darkness, and and John and, in, in one of those Bill drawings. are on the absolutely on the path. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know if that. I, okay, so for anybody who's listening out there, I'm not sure that that's officially official, but there well, is the, the the higher ups tell me these things. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. Do you want to clarify where... I can't say which can't apostle say which, tells me, <laughs> okay. but it's at least three of them have told me this independently. So Okay. Are you being serious? No. Okay. <laughs> Good. So that's... We got to figure out the sarcasm yes. between us yeah. and we, the listeners, you're going to have to decipher that. So just know that this is all fun and games today. Mm-hmm. We're having fun and uh, we're not playing games, but we're, we're enjoying ourselves, so... I think for me, the reason the cosmology is so important, it reminds me of what, you'll have to find the the exact quote um, Joseph Smith said in the King Follett discourse, that if you begin right, it's easier to go right, something like that, Um, that the foundational assumptions that we have about why we're here and what we're doing. Um, it's really critical to get those as right as we can get them. Okay. So while you're talking, I looked this up, um, in the, it's in section six of teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. He says, I want to go back to the morning of the the first morning, the, the beginning, the morning of creation. There's the starting point for us to look in order to fully understand and be acquainted with the mind and purposes and decrees of the great Elohim who sits in yonder heavens as he did at the creation of this world. It's necessary for us to have an understanding of God himself in the beginning. If we start right, it's easy to go right all the time, but we 
if we start wrong, we may go wrong and it might be hard to get the matter right. Yes. Right. So that's what you're referring to. This is just like in the plane analogies of being off track if you you aim your airplane the wrong way or something. Right. So uh, if you're off by a matter of a few degrees, at the end, you're in Europe Mm -hmm. instead of in uh, New York State. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So um, continuing with what you were saying there, Mrs. T? Well, you know, I think that, you know, the study of cosmology and thinking about why it is that um, you look at prophets throughout the ages, why they go back and talk about the creation and, um, and the fall and those things, because those are foundational, um, you know, assumptions that guide a lot of, you know, how we start to figure out why things happen to us here. You know, some of those questions of, you know, um, why do good, uh, bad things happen to good people or why do good things happen to bad people? You know, that uh, humankind has tried to sort out um, for a long time. You know, something we were talking about last night um, that I mentioned that, I think part of the narrative I always grew up with is we came here to suffer. We came here to have challenges and experiences so we could grow. And I would think about that and think about how often when we're going through those, what we're doing is we're praying for relief from them that we don't want them. Mm -hmm. But the premise is we needed them to grow or we needed them to progress. Um, and I think sometimes people would talk through that and say, well, we just didn't really understand what we were getting into. And, you know, um, you know, once we're here with these challenges, which, you know, I don't know if, if that's a very good way to, to look at it almost like we didn't know what we were getting into. Right. And, and I think you mentioned you don't know what you're getting into until you do it, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, you, we didn't have informed consent, is what you're saying? Well, somewhat at least, but uh, I guess uh, as, as Nibley said in Treasures of the Heavens, the, the offering, the voluntary sacrifice of, of the, the Lord settled the matter for those who were on the fence about being willing to show up in this world. Okay. Yeah, so I think w- w- it was interesting because you you pointed out last night, we did we chatted last night before we decided to have this conversation today, and actually do the podcast. <laughs> and we really didn't plan exactly what we were going to talk about, by the way. We are following our, our pattern of flying by the seat of our pants. So you're going to have to forgive us out there. Hopefully you're enjoying this conversation. But, but last night you were you're pointing out, well, if the point was to come here and suffer, why aren't we praying for more suffering? Right. And why when we have suffering, we pray for it to end. You know, so... Mm-hmm. You know, I think those are sometimes some of those questions that we try to figure out when we're going through these things. And starting right helps us to go right when we start to understand, well, why did we come here? Why are we here? Why is this world the way it is? Mm -hmm. That um, discussing those. And I think that I more grew up with the idea that we already had all the answers to that um, and understood that um, versus, you know, being exposed to some of this materials helped me be a little bit more open of how can I continue to have an open heart to 
be ready to get more and more information about um, understanding the nature of our reality and trying to get to a more accurate picture. Mm-hmm. So the it's the discussion of theodicy, which is one of the things I brought up in the cosmology podcast. The idea that why would a loving God put us here in this world? How is that? How does that make God just to put us here and cause the suffering? And then the the LDS narrative is essentially, well, that was part of the plan, and you needed to come here to get the experience, so that you and also to get a body, so that you could then go on to be like like our Father in heaven. But then there's a lot of it just doesn't make sense that God would do this to us for a lot, a lot of people that have uh, difficulties in life. There are such varying degrees of pain that people have. Obviously, some, some people have truly horrifying lives that, that we can't even conceive of. And mm-hmm. it's difficult, at least, to explain why that happens to some people and not others. You, you can blame my free will, but still, God can always put his thumb on the scale and you know kill the Hitlers before they start Hitlering and all that right. kind of stuff. <laughs> And, and the general response is, well, God knows everybody, and everybody has to ha- have a different experience, and he's going to judge everybody, and it's going to be perfectly perfect. It's going gonna, it's gonna to balance out or whatever. But, it, but I think that for us, it doesn't seem fair. Yeah. It does, it, and, and God's really good at math, but that's a lot of variables to juggle simultaneously. And Have you guys watched The Good Place with Ted yeah. Danson? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, they, I, I think the funniest part of that, well, I, I haven't seen the fourth season yet, so, but I, I thought... I haven't it, either, yeah. It, well, they, there was a big long pause, and mm, so I got yeah. distracted, right? Yes. And I think that the uh, one of the great things about that is you have Ted Danson as the demiurge because he's really the bad. Mm-hmm. Well, spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> too late. Spoiler, Oops. Too late. Yeah, too late. Um, I think the statutes of limitations on spoilers, like you know, it's been out like at least it's been a while. Yeah, there's a sta- there's a limit. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. There's a statute of limitation on spoilers. We got spoiler protection. By- I think you know. Um, once something's been out at least five years. Darth Vader is Luke's father. Um, <laughs> you can say that. And he's Anakin Skywalker. With impunity. Yes. <laughs> you don't mm-hmm. have to, you don't have to say there's a spoiler alert there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to talk to Bobby about this because we have to have the rules for discussion. Just mm-hmm. like Sanderson's rules of magic. Mm-hmm. We have to have the rules for the podcast. So. We're, we were sort of making those up on the fly. Mm-hmm. So you're part of this universe now, so you got to make up the rules. So Mrs. T has proposed a statute of limitations on spoilers. On spoiler protection? Is that how you would say it? The, 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 the Spoiler Protection Act? Yes. <laughs> the SPA? Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, so anyway, The Good Place is really good because you've got Ted Danson as the demiurge, who's, if, if you know your uh, cosmology which is what we're talking about today, cosmology. And by the way, uh, Mrs. T and Mr. T are, are longtime friends of mine and, and my family. And so we've had some of these discussions in the past. We're not, th- this, we, we would all acknowledge that this type of discussion takes many passes, especially when you're coming from a certain background. You, it, takes, it takes a few passes and, and some careful study and co- solemn, ponderous thought. I think I quoted that when I... Uh, did the the po- podcast solo i was quoting joseph smith a few times and he says you know the things of god are of, of deep import and and i think bobby even brought this up he quoted it later on in, in one of the later podcasts what an incredible quote you know your mind must stretch to the highest heavens and then to the deepest abyss and you must consider all these the totality of your existence and and you must commune with god so it's uh 
yeah, it, this isn't this isn't something that I'm I'm thinking everybody who's listened to that podcast should be understanding perfectly at this point. You know, Jordan Bruno made an attempt, and you guys hopefully hopefully that's helpful for some people, and and they can go out and uh, use it as a starting point for study and reflection. But yeah, these are these are things that are of d- deep import, in my opinion. And uh, anyway, Ted Danson as the demiurge is really fun because it's a <laughs> They they think they're in the good place. Mm. They're they're not. They're they're actually uh, in hell, which is something I disclose. I believe that you know this world is hell or the terrestrial. It's not the terrestrial. It's the telestial world. It's the fallen world. It's the lowest, furthest away world. And it not only includes what you have physically visible and tangible in front of you, but also the unseen evil and the unseen spirits and the unseen good that's that's trapped here in the fallen world waiting for the resolution. And the good news is our, our fallen hellish hosts actually kind of want us to have a good time here. They don't want to actually torture us. Well, they, they, they could say two things. They, they could, they want us to hate God. And the two levers they have for that is they could make this sufficiently nice that we like it here and don't need God, or they could make things really bad and they can get us to blame God for the things that are wrong here. Right. And they do that uh, in a variety of ways. Uh, one one allegory that's used to describe that is Pinocchio, right? The mm. the Pleasure Island, is that what they call it? Mm-hmm. Pleasure Island, and then the kids go donkeys there, and, and then they slowly turn into donkeys, and mm-hmm. then they take them away into... I haven't seen the new Disney version of this. Slavery. It wasn't that good. This is the old Disney yeah, version. Yeah. The, yeah, last couple of weeks, the new one came out or so. I don't... Yeah, really? Like okay. Tom Hanks' Geppetto and... Really? Yeah, but I, mm. I think they kind of watered down like they don't have any donkeys going on, and the kids don't smoke because you're not allowed, not allowed to smoke in movies anymore oh, and okay. stuff, so... Well, they literally had cartoon smoking. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How dare them? Yeah. Um, well, anyway, so this this uh, this whole line of thinking is it, interesting. So what you're telling me is that the the one of the reasons you like the cosmology podcast uh, and the discussion going on on the Mind Virus show is because we're talking about theodicy. Why would a loving God put us here? And the thing that comes out in the pod the podcast on cosmology is the explanation that no evil is evil because evil is caused by evil people, evil beings, evil entities. And that we're sort of, there are perhaps other reasons why you're here perhaps to gain power over evil or to fight on the side of the Lord in a, in a war, (laughs) in a, in a very difficult situation that was not, was not God doing this to you to just prove a point that you were mm. worthy of of some certain level? It was. He's not trifling with us. He's not trifling with us. He's he's not um, fiddling around, toying around, just to see what you're going to do. This is about a very real struggle between darkness and light, between good and evil. Am I am I mm-hmm. encapsulating that well enough? Yeah. Okay. Well, I do wonder, I do wonder what other people, like, I know you guys, and I know, you know, we've, we've got a lot in common along those lines, because we've, we've talked about a lot of these subjects in the past many times. I do wonder what others are thinking out there. So we did have a few commenters on the Cosmology Show. You guys need to comment and let us know what... <laughs> what you really think all those all those lurkers out there all those people that are hopefully people have questions because it should raise a lot of questions yeah but, like what what do you think i mean all of it it's there's 
there, there are more qu- more questions than I can think of to to come up with at the at the moment, and, and probably because I've asked them of you over many years. Um, that uh, it, it should definitely raise a lot of questions. I think that because uh, it's, it's a lot to to explain in four hours is hardly even enough. Um, well, is it a safe discussion, or I mean, is this something where you have to? Are we feel- supposed to be safe here? <laughs> I, I guess I'm I, I'm talking about Mormons, right? The Mormons. Yeah. We, if if you're Mormon, if you come from that background, you know, certain things are not supposed to be discussed, which is really bizarre, considering that you know Joseph Smith thought that Mormonism was supposed to include all truth, right? It was mm-hmm. it was supposed to be all truth was supposed to be yeah. on the table, and yes. so. Uh, his his comments. I, I that, think somebody added all correlated truth though. All correlated <laughs> in the in his journals. Maybe yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the, I forget the guy that wrote William Clayton. Yeah, yeah. He scratched it out and added correlated truth. Okay. <laughs> so you're you're uh, you're letting slip here, and I guess I'll just ask it point blank. Is uh, so you you're letting slip that you're skeptical of a lot of the narrative. You're skeptical of. Um, kind of where we're at as a culture for sure and for I, don't, sure. I don't necessarily we we bobby and i have tried to steer clear f- of making this about the church yeah 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 church and is good people and it's a good church i guess if that's it, yeah if this is something you want to talk about i guess we can talk mm-hmm. about it i'm not sure if bobby will um object to that or not i'm more interested in the big narrative than than criticizing spencer cox or any other high-ranking officials in in utah okay <laughs> well um but yeah, you you bring up how the narratives do change. The mm-hmm. the record does get changed, and um, we we take for granted that certain ideas are the gospel truth or the Bible truth, right? What what's what's interesting is when you really start to study these ancient texts, and you you get into a, a careful analysis or a careful exploration and i'm not just talking about like a, a an academic exploration when you really put your heart and soul on the line and you really look into these these ancient texts especially the bible itself you realize the bible truth isn't quite the bible truth and i think one of our friends i play the radio mm-hmm. <laughs> made note of that that we we had pointed that out last week so it's kind of funny how how you arrive at that point you know it's, it, our our society has built up uh, an expectation that that certain things are bedrock to the point where we have this idiom, the Bible truth. It's yeah. the it's unassailable. And, it's and comforting to have something out there that is, and I wish I had more of it. Yeah. But, but in the end, um, the the people that are responsible for the Old Testament, in particular, mm-hmm. they these this is the Jews, and and they're only one twelfth if you take it by tribe, one twelfth of the house of Israel. But every you know, and this is one of the problems I have with the movie the, or the the series, The Chosen, is mm-hmm. that. The chosen, it's called the chosen because the Jews presume themselves to be the chosen people, but all of the scriptural language is that it's the house of Israel that's the chosen, Mm -hmm. which includes the other tribes, and they call them lost. Mm -hmm. Well, and then they've and they have not kept up their their uh, Hebrew tribal traditions. So where where are they? Right, Mm -hmm. where we know of Levites and we know of Judahites. So it's a good point that they that these seem to be lost to history, but those, those other groups are also the chosen. So that's kind of one of my, um, 
one of the things that's irritating me, agitating me about the whole of New Testament studies and Christianity in general is this focus on Judaism, that it, the Judaites are telling us what they say the religion was, mm-hmm. but they're only one-twelfth of it, and we know that people are prone to rearrange history. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for so, a good, you know, faithful Mormon source, uh, um, search on Mormon interpreter, what did Josiah reform by, by Margaret Barker? She's been brought up on the podcast before, of course. Yeah. Um, but her, her piece on that, and then, then they have some responses going back and forth of, of, you know, what exactly did the Deuteronomist reform and were those reforms a good thing or a bad thing? And, and, and we definitely take the opinion like you, that it's was a bad thing. Right. I'll, I'll put a link up to Margaret's paper on the podcast page for people if you want to look into that. Margaret Barker's a, a great resource because she's a Methodist scholar who, when, you really, when it really comes down to it, she has a lot of affinity for Joseph Smith. She's, mm-hmm. she's got a lot of room there for a guy to have, uh, like Lehi, to have a throne theophany. She finds his experience in First Nephi authentic and matching with all the other, these other ancient visions but the, but then again a lot of those were thrown out of the bible <laughs> and then they end up in apocryphal or pseudepigraphical work mm-hmm. and um she you know she 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 never joined the church because i think when you get to the point where she's at it's that's not the point the yeah. point is connection to heaven not mm-hmm. connection to a church but and it so, like mormons are the only people terribly interested in what she has to say it seems like but i'm not totally i don't think so i think there's a lot of people that are interested in what <laughs> she has to say but um Mormons are definitely mm-hmm. terribly interested in yeah. what she has to say. Mm-hmm. We're very much interested. Well, uh, some of us are. Yeah, because it very tightly fits right into Lehi and, and Nephi, and the, the time of those reforms happened was right when it was time for them to leave. Right, and um, and she sees uh, Joseph. Do I need to be louder? Oh, just yeah, bring okay. it a little closer okay. to your a little closer. Okay, closer to your, to your mouth, and then it'll even out a little bit. Okay. But uh, yeah, Margaret sees Joseph as an authentic um, person. She she has a book called the An Extraordinary Gathering of Angels, wherein she lists Joseph as one of those people who's had encounters with mm. angels and, and with with the divine and and the the fiery conduit, you know. And and I'm not I can't remember uh, right off the top of my head how she treats it, but she just mentions here's a guy who's experienced the beyond that unseen world that was what I was alluding to talking about in, in really fairly specific terms in the cosmology podcast. The idea that that's what faith is leading to is a, an encounter with this unseen world, not just the fallen world, but the, the angelic world. That's what, what Lehi has. It's different than seeing spirits. It's different than seeing dead people. You know, it's different than the, than the sixth sense with, um, Haley Joel Osment, right, and mm-hmm. Bruce Willis. He sees disembodied spirits that uh, some people would call them earthbound spirits that are trying to get um, the Haley Joel Osment character to do something for them, to resolve something for them. But, uh, but that's still uh, part of the world that's cut off from the heavens. And so when, when Joseph Smith sees the fiery conduit, when he sees the heavenly beings and he sees the great angel, Jesus, and the Father, and the concourses of angels, he's peering into the heavens. He's peering into the real world. He's, he's seeing the unseen reality uh, of the living world rather than, the, than the, the world inside of Plato's cave. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, Margaret includes Joseph as one of those people who has had that because it's a, it's a, I wouldn't call it common, but it's a, a consistent thing with enlightened people in the ancient world. And she sees it outside of the context of, of what we get in the, in the Old Testament and Judaism and Christian studies. Go ahead, I, Mrs. T, you've got something to say. Well, it's kind of tied to a show recommendation. I know you have a really long list. Um, <laughs> I'll write it down. I don't think you've seen it. Severance. It's an Apple TV Best thing I've seen all year. Yeah. show. And I don't think it would fall within a reasonable, you know, um, I think it's still protected by statu- our statute, you know, limitations about spoilers. So oh, okay. Really spoil. So you can't just, tell us much about it? I'll just give you a little bit about it, but it um, might be fun for us to uh, watch an episode or two together. But, I mean, the basic premise that you would find out pretty quickly is that this is sort of this dystopian world where there's some type of medical procedure that can split your mind in half. So when you're at work, you know nothing of life outside of work. Interesting. And when you're outside of work... I think I've heard about this. You don't know anything about being at work. So it's like you're kind of two people, like you have a like a, a veil of forgetfulness. And so, you know, you do wonder as you go through this, like the people that have had this procedure... You're sort of questioning, like, did they know what they were getting into, or is this willing, mm-hmm. or why would someone want to do this? You get some sense that perhaps some characters maybe did it willingly, and maybe some didn't. Maybe some people had very difficult things in their life they wanted to have some hours away from. But it it's interesting. It has some of these kind of themes because um, when this procedure happens, you know, these these individuals almost become like children. They have like no, you know, when they've, their mind's been severed. They're Does kind of it happen repeatedly? Like every day they, they every end up as a little child? You've got to put the mic the over two there. Sides of them don't know anything about e- each other between the work and they call them the innies and the outies. But so, it's the same person. So does the person have to forget everything every day? No, you still know what happened at work yesterday. Okay, so you just go through the childlike phase yeah. once. Yeah, yes. and, and the things that entertain people on the inside are pretty simplistic because they have no knowledge of the outside world and culture and entertainment and books and anything really interesting oh did we lose you i don't know right so it it certainly brought to mind um it reminded me it, it reminds me a lot of like a plato's cave type of situation as well because inside the company is a very false world, like, cause it can be very constructed by the company, you mm-hmm. know, like, I mean, they really control that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, people controlling the shadows, like that, cause it's, it's all well, there's they a, know. There's a reason that they want these people to not have a memory. Yes. And I would even say by the end of season one, you don't completely know yet. So this this show is still ongoing. Uh, They're keeping that mysterious. About yeah, exactly. What? what the what are the true intentions okay. for why you would develop this technology and what's exactly going on? We don't really know yet, but um, it it's interesting to see people engaged in things that if they had their memories and they understood the real world, 
the world outside of you know or how their work was affecting the real world yeah like it's in it's you know in this world you would call like the false world what's happening at work and the real world is kind of outside there and because they don't have any knowledge of the outside world um how they're how much easier it is to control them mm-hmm. because someone's controlling completely all they know about the world you know living inside their their work might not be terribly meaningful um if you watch the show which uh yeah, but they're told it's meaningful. Yeah. They're told all the time that it's meaningful. Oh, okay. So they believe it's meaningful, even though if they understood the real world, they would realize it's not meaningful. So, and there's little things here and there. Of course, in any show like this, someone's going to break free to the outside. You know, someone's right. going <laughs> to someone's gonna get a glimpse outside the cave and try to convince the people still in the cave that... Uh-huh. there's something outside of there and to try to explain that. And that never goes well. That, you know, that, that's oh, a no. very hard thing to explain to people who haven't been outside the cave what's out there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you would like it. So you have cool. to add that to, okay. have to, to add your that list. To the homework list. And if... Eight, ten episodes or so. So, yeah. And if Bobby hasn't seen it, maybe you guys could end up doing a discussion on it <laughs> once it's past the statute of limitations for spoilers. We, we are... Yeah. What's the, what is the statute of limitations? What is that time, time limit? I don't know. But I think what you do is you just say, at this timestamp in the podcast, we're going to be spoiling this thing so you can skip ahead to this other time. Yeah, but the statute of limitations implies that there's a a, an an customary there's a customary time frame. Don't have to, but I think once a show is over, is for sure one right? Because you can break the statute of limitations by saying it. Like we're going to discuss Free Guy on thus and such a date. Mm -hmm. So, so you're saying I think it's better just warn people and put a timestamp in the show notes and say this is where we start saying Darth Vader is Luke's father and okay, but. Yeah, but we do warn We'd people. Like but what, but I like here. this idea of a customary statute of limitations. <laughs> like if it's a year old or once the show is over. Well, I think society-wise, we do. Like nobody would get angry if you spoiled Return Stranger of the Jedi. Things. Return of the Jedi. <laughs> you know, it's been thirty years. We know at least thirty years is okay. The question more is like one year, two years. Yeah. So you know. you're saying once the show is over, that's that can be our statute of limitations. Well, does that mean I think all the seasons even, are over? No, I think it could be even sooner than that. But I think for sure, if the show is over, right? I don't know. If the season is over, if the um, I'll bring this up yeah. with our chief uh, operating officer. Well, I mean, think about Bobby Flood. sports. You know, because um, a lot of people record them and watch them later. Yeah. Um, that's like one day later I think sports expires if you haven't watched it a day after it's over you're going to hear about it somewhere else yeah you better watch your sports game pretty quick otherwise Mm -hmm. you're going to find out who won well and I think like for a lot of these shows you do kind of try to watch them quick because it's going to be very impossible to avoid spoilers because people do talk about it a lot and Severance ended up you know being very talked about and Emmys oh okay and I didn't know that Anybody we know in it? Um, the guy from Parks and Rec, uh, Adam something something. Adam Scott. Yeah. He's also in The Good Place. Yeah. He he plays the the bad guy. I don't know what his he he was He's sort of. Character. He's not bad. What's well, hard to say? Adam Scott. Oh yeah, he. I remember him from The Good Place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you bad guy in The Good Place. Yeah, he's the bad guy in the good place. One of the he's bad not, guys. He's one of the bad guys. He's one of the not bad the main, guys in the good place. He's not the main devil. No. 
one of the minions. The bee, the the bees. It's always something with they're torturing them with bees. Um, and but I would recommend. I I think it's a fu- it's a good show. Christopher and a fun Walken show. is in it. Yeah, and he's great in there too. And John Turturro. It's, it's yeah, it's John a Turturro from really good show. Uh, the fame of Transformers. Mm-hmm. We'll be enjoyed by pe- Mormons of all stripes. I think. Okay. Even the Bill Real and John Dolan types would probably like it too. <laughs> so, what are the Bill Real and John Dolan types? You've just stereotyped somebody. How do you how do you see those guys? Um, I don't know, guys who. Who's uh, Bill Real? He's Mormon free. He's like super Mormon free radio. emotional. Uh, <laughs> he, he does podcasts and he just I don't know, he kind of cries a lot and like he's. Everything you realize they have a very large listenership at the Mind Virus show. That has, oh, you think it's so? super large. <laughs> it is the l- the Venn diagram is, is pretty much just one circle. <laughs> you got to give him the mic. Uh-huh. <laughs> you talking about a Venn diagram? Yeah, and it's just a circle. So people listen to the Mind Virus and Bill Real because they like to hear <laughs> say how things are deeply. There's everybody, and then there's the people that are. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, so Bill Real, what's his podcast? Uh, is that Mormon, f- Mormon Free Radio or Free Mormon Radio or he, he Free Radio with Mormon? RFM Radio Free Mormon, but. I Radio Free Mormon. Name is, I can't read his Google's name if you really want to. Mormon discussion. And Definitely. and John DeLynn is uh, Mormon stories. Mormon stories. Okay, I don't know if we want to link to some of these guys. I I know a little bit about. Um, I've I've listened to Bill Real and John DeLynn in the past. One one of my problems is it, it seems like a lot of people who, um, discover that they have concerns about the traditional LDS narratives and the traditional cultural way that things go down, they end up throwing out Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. That really bothers me. And Jesus for that matter. And Jesus then. Yeah. And I think that John DeLynn's kind of in that camp, isn't he? Or is he oh, yeah, still yeah. a Christian? Um, I'm not going to say, I know Bill Real's full atheist. I don't know John John's but yeah. Bill Bill Real is is an atheist. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. Don't sue me if. if uh, okay, maybe we won't link to these guys, and you guys can just go look at yeah. them uh, on your own if you're lis- actually listening to this. But you know, I, I'm not trying to hide Mormon stories or Radio Free Mormon from you guys. But there, I I think there are a lot of really good reasons to love Joseph to mm-hmm. to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. A lot of people find something they're concerned about in Mormonism, and then they bail. And pretty soon it's smoking, drinking, carousing, and yeah. you know the whole Cottonwood Heights thing. Sorry, Cottonwood <laughs> Heights. <laughs> Is that the same as Draper? If you're, if you're a listener from Cottonwood Heights, please comment. We need more comments on the. We can't just have Mrs. T and Mr. T commenting on the podcast. Although that is very nice that you're pod, you're commenting. We need more commenters so they can have someone to talk to. But no, it it, it seems like there is a pattern where. The because as a society we're structurally incapable of handling interesting conversation at church, then it gets talked about outside of it, and then it ends up being this dichotomy, this this division of it's either it's either Joseph Smith is what the corporate entity says, or it's what the antis say, and I think that uh, in my opinion, you know, there's problems on both on both sides Mm -hmm. and we've made a caricature out of Joseph Smith to borrow somebody's, I can't remember exactly where that one came from, but I I thought it was a good description that we've made a caricature out of him and he, he was really a good guy and he had a lot of really important things that we can, that will help us as Christians, right? In the modern world, 
as we recognize some of the flaws and and um, deficiencies in traditional Christianity, what's developed over the last two thousand years, mm-hmm. you know, and and so I, I think that's an unfortunate uh, side effect of what what would we call it the the rigidness of the corporate side of things. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's a hard thing to sort out. I think you've grappled with this. I know I have. I feel like the churches as well as how much do you talk about those issues and how much do you just try not to talk about them because, you know, the risk is if you don't talk about them and people come to them in other ways that, you know, they need help sorting out, okay, I... I'm finding this other information out. What if it's true? What can you sort me? You know, what's, what's a counter response to it? And, you know, cause I, 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 I think, um, well, there's a lot of polemics that like, you've got the fair Mormon guys, which are now fa- fair Latter-day Saint, of course. Uh, you've got them fighting against some of the, the, the real antis out there that have spent a lot of time and effort trying to compile, what they see as um, flaws in Joseph Smith's work and in his character and in the historical record, and so it's it's polemic. A polemic is a is a sort of a pointed or argumentative attack on someone else's beliefs, mm-hmm. and so they they go back and forth. And the the fair Mormon guys act like they're being apologetic, which is the the Greek word uh, for defense of your of your ideas. But in in the end, they end up being polemic because they have to attack. The other guys, mm. sometimes personally, and sometimes personally, of, yeah. yeah, sometimes personally. So, so you have you have these two sides to the story, which I, I, I hope that what you're hearing from the Mind Virus show, listeners, and everybody out there, is that there are more than two sides to this story. There are more than two sides, and there, if if we could repent, meaning change metanoia. our hearts and mind, metanoia, yeah, if we could, if we could. Just calm down for a minute and 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 really take on that search for truth. We could we could get a better understanding of what's going on, and we don't have to throw Joseph Smith out. But you might have to unload, uh, for example, polygamy. Uh, I, I'm not trying to make any official commentary on this, but I'll, and I'll I'll put a link to uh, a really good YouTube presentation that I saw on the subject. By a guy named Fotheringham. Saying his stuff is yeah, pretty sure. Father, Fotheringham's what's his Rob, Rob Fotheringham. What's his? Is it? He's it's not Rob the headline. It's, it's just Fotheringham. It's just Rob Fotheringham on YouTube. Yeah. Well, he he did a like an hour and a half discussion on polygamy. And he shows mm-hmm. you. <laughs> you don't have to believe the narrative on polygamy, right? You now, and I think the polygamy issue is a sideshow. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there are interesting ideas relative to uh, the marriage practices of the ancient Israelites, if you mm-hmm. want to get into that, or maybe... I mean, it's, 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 maybe it's they're sort of incorrect. a sideshow, but it's also really hard to believe in a faith system that says you can take all the 14-year-old girls you want and marry all of them. I mean, that, that, that's hard to swallow. Right, but that's what's gotten pinned on Joseph Smith. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's what's gotten pinned on him, and uh, most people forget that he was also sealing men mm-hmm. to himself, which resulted in a very frenzied, multi-level uh, marketing type of an environment after his death in in Nauvoo, where they where guys were trying to build their kingdoms, and they were taking on sons, and their sons were taking on sons, and so it was this it was this hierarchical mm-hmm. structure trying to 
to for people trying to get into the families of the apostles because yeah. they'd all been sealed to Joseph. And so there were men sealing to men, and and we really don't understand exactly what was going on mm-hmm. in and Joseph's doesn't day. Doesn't actually have to be a family thing. You know, he could be sealed as parents. You could seal his spouses. Maybe you just sealed as sort of a buddy. Well, it is a it is a familial thing, but you're saying it doesn't have to be spousal. It doesn't have to be man and wife. Does it have to be? Does it have to be familiar? Can can you sort of be sealed as buddies? Uh, I think it. I I think in the family of God, it's considered familial, right? Mm -hmm. Father to son. Maybe it's brother to brother, but you know, I don't. I don't know that we're just letting buddies in. (laughs) But I, you know, that's that's maybe a subject for a whole different contextual discussion yeah. on on what is the sealing power really and what what uh is god going after there when he tells peter what you what you bind on earth can be bound in heaven and what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven etc cetera, etc cetera. so but getting back to the whole polygamy thing what i liked about fatheringham's presentation and I'll, I'll provide a link to this because i think it's important he shows where the historical narrative was modified by brigham and william brigham young and william clayton and willard richards that is problematic. You you can make of it what you want. Does it make Brigham, Willard, and William Clayton terrible people? Or, you know, did they have... We don't know what their motives was, mm-hmm. were, but we can see that one of the motivations was probably to consolidate um, the religion of Joseph and make it more manageable as they came out west. We, we don't know exactly what was going on. Is it, I'm just saying, I'm not trying to say they're evil people. I'm not, I'm not going there. Mm-hmm. But, but they, uh, what Fotheringham shows is what you, you can also discover from a careful um, analysis of the, of the Joseph Smith Papers books is that uh, certain... You can see things scratched out and written over. You can see them scratched out and written over, and certain things that we take as the Bible truth appear to have been modified. And so if you want to see what what that was relative to polygamy and section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants, which is always attributed to Joseph, but was found later by Brigham in a drawer and published posthumously, and that's the there can be only one Mm -hmm. who holds the key... Because remember, that was the issue, is who gets to control the legacy of Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's of dubious authenticity. It's not necessarily Joseph that invented or received, if you, if you want to call it a revelation, you know, it's attributed to Joseph. Mm-hmm. So it, it's this gray area here where you got to... <laughs> You know, I, I guess I'm kind of dancing around it. You really should have to reconcile with that if you're if you're going to be um, a follower of Joseph Smith. You know, you want to mm-hmm. know what Joseph Smith said, and if if you uh, <laughs> if you're at all interested in truth, you really need to reconcile with that. That's what I'm. That's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. That's the only thing I'm trying to say here. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you have to leave the church or join a different church or whatever, but you should add that to how you're viewing the totality of the teachings because he probably didn't write parts of section 132. He probably did write other parts of it. Yeah. You know, and that's it's uh, complicated. It's complicated. But anyway, that's Fotheringham has a really good presentation on the historicity of those materials and some of the back and forth between Brigham and Emma and 
he has uh, some pretty good analysis on the idea that, you know, Joseph Smith had always maintained that he was not engaged in this practice while he, at least what people perceived as that practice Mm -hmm. while he was alive. And so the, the way that the, the narrative is currently written, it, it's sort of makes Joseph Smith out to be a little bit of a a liar in a way. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of the, the people who start to, uh, really dig deeply into the anti-material, they then go, Oh, well, he's lying. (laughs) because the church says he's lying. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really po- possible or even probable here now that we have the, we can see the actual texts that he wasn't lying, mm-hmm. that it was his successors that modified things to make, to smooth over some of the more difficult aspects of what happened after Joseph Smith passed on and the, and the saints moved West and, and, and we did our thing, you know? And, I have to stop there and say, look, I am I am definitely very grateful to the corporate church and what happened because I sprang up out of that tradition, and yeah. I'm part and I'm part of that tradition in the Inner Mountain West where, you know, we have what we have because of the pioneers. Yeah. So they did the best they could in a lot of ways. And again, what you make of that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is and of course, the important part, of course, I don't want to talk about plug mail day because it is. I don't like it. Some people like yeah. to talk Some about polygamy do, yeah. a lot. I, yeah, and it's not fun. But, but what it does matter, though, is, is you know, questions like if Joseph is lying or is he lying at the Lord's behest? And then we bring questions of the nature of God, which is what we really want to talk about, the cosmology. What is the nature okay, of God? Is he the, the lying type? Is, you know. Yeah, is he the father of lies? <laughs> or is he or, or even the, the spirit of truth, mm-hmm. right? Well, tell me, what what do you guys want to talk about? What what was uh, what's so interesting that you would want me to drive all the way across the country, and I did mm-hmm. just to hang <laughs> just out with to, us and nobody else just to do the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. Long pause for dramatic effect. I really appreciated what you did in the cosmology podcast about the second Nephi two chapter. That's always been a very difficult chapter to understand. Um, this is opposition. It's a question about opposition. Right. Um, you know, because it, um, I think, um, and I did have a question on that. Not that I, I, I don't think we want to go super micro so you can pass on this question, but you used a term hermetic duality when you talked about that. You know, I, I listened to the, the four-hour podcast a couple of times to try to make sure that there wasn't any really massive problems with it. Cause you know, when you're just going off the cuff, <laughs> you can, right. you're going to say black is white and white is black probably three or four times in that time period. And I did mention that Thanksgiving was the most evil of holidays <laughs> when I really meant Halloween. So I actually literally went back and re-edited that so that it sounded like Halloween was what I was talking about. Cause Thanksgiving is one of my favorites. In fact, I think it's one of the few, more pure uh, experiences. You know, we take a couple of days off, we watch football, we get together with family, and we just kind of are thankful. You know, it's warm outside, it's co- or it's warm inside, it's cold outside, and you you it's the harvest festival type of thing, and you get to be thankful, and it's it's kind of just it we just we're grateful for what we have and uh, there are rich and poor and and bond and free so to speak that 
in America have traditionally taken that holiday, and whether whether we have a lot or a little, we take the time to consider what God has done for us, and 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 take a quiet moment at least between football games and and uh, second helpings and stuff, and the turkey kicking in, and 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 being grateful for what we have, what we do have, you know, because it's all relative, right? You can be you could be living in a a hut with a dirt floor and be very grateful for what you have and be content. And you could be one of the most wealthy people on the planet and be not content because you don't have, you know, dominion flowing to you without compulsion. Turkey's vastly overrated. Turkey's vastly overrated. (laughs) This is coming from a foodie. Mm -hmm. What would you do in place of turkey? Uh, Prime rib. Prime rib, okay. (laughs) And that does tend to happen unless there's a purist visiting that needs turkey. And then you'll make them turkey. Okay. A roasted turkey. Mm-hmm. I'll always... smoked. I'll always associate with uh, Thanksgiving the turducken mm-hmm. from uh, John Madden. That's a big upgrade, yeah. Yeah, you get turkey, chicken, and duck, if I, yes. if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> so obviously we watched a lot of football on Thanksgiving at my house. Hermetic, hermeticism was a concept that I said in the podcast. I, I mentioned I went over it again, and I noticed that I never. You I never said, really defined it. I said I'm going to have to get back to that. So you're calling me on that that mistake there. I needed to come back and talk about hermeticism. And so let me just give you a little bit of a an overview on it because I'll try not to do the from the beginning of time explanation. But we have to start right so that we don't and wrong. <laughs> and so we do need to go back to the beginning. Uh, Hermeticism is named for the Greek god Hermes, who's the messenger god. He is the, uh, not the same, but syncretous, meaning similar to, in religious studies, he's very similar to the Roman Mercury, and also similar to the Egyptian Thoth, T-H-O-T-H. He's sometimes phonetically spelled Jehoti. And he's also syncretous with the Hebrew Enoch, Enoch. Now, and, and the American Ultron. And the American, and the, and yes, for those of you, okay, so <laughs> here's a spoiler alert for the Mind Virus listeners who you get a free one here. Thank you, Mr. T, <laughs> Mr. TBM, um, if that is your real name. <laughs> The the age of Enoch or the pre-Diluvian age is often called the age of Enoch, and you'll notice that the, the Avengers people named their second movie about the Avengers proper, not not the second movie in the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, but the second movie about the Avengers was called Avengers: Age of Ultron, and one of the titles associated with with Enoch or Thoth in Egypt is Metatron, meaning the measurer. He has temple functions. He has uh, teaching functions. Ultron. That was the head of the Transformers, right? Metatron? Megatron. Oh, yeah, Megatron. Megatron. But there's another one. Okay, so we could totally go on several tangents here because Mm -hmm. the Transformers do similar things to uh, Avengers. Is there some esotericism in the Transformers? Is there what? Is there some real esoteric uh, themes in Transformers? Huge esotericism in the Transformers, and some of it's inverted. Some of it's not. Some of it's inverted. How about Fast and Furious? Now, that would be a challenge. We should do the Fast and Furious watch. (laughs) We should do a a binge watch party 
and see if we can invent <laughs> anything good <laughs> besides the fact that they're driving fast cars mm-hmm. and all that fun stuff in the Fast and the Furious. Um, I enjoy fast cars and stuff like that. That's fun. My favorite part of the Fast and the Furious was the one where they're in Brazil and they have two chargers, uh, Dodge chargers, all decked out, pulling a massive safe through the streets of Rio, I believe is what it is. And they're just wrecking everything with this huge safe that it has to outweigh those chargers by like 50 times. But they get they get it rolling and flying all over the place. I mean, the laws of physics were are suspended in a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. But in The Fast and the Furious, the laws of physics are are not only suspended, they are they they are flagrantly flouted they are flagrantly disregarded they are they are taunted they are uh mocked repeatedly and that's the probably the best episode there i think where they're (laughs) pulling that uh safe all over over the streets of i think it's rio okay now, this is the challenge on the Mind Virus show is retracing back to where you Yes, I was just about to say uh Enoch Hermeticism is what Hermeticism. we're talking about. <laughs> retracing back to what we're talking about. Okay, so this is this is why it takes so long to explain anything because you can't you can't just do the beginning of time explanation. You have to do all the tangents. And it was Mr. T here that uh got us on the Fast and Furious. But anyway, okay, so Transformers Back to back to Ultron, back to Enoch. The Ultron, the Ultron movie is all about Enoch. And if you do not believe me, go watch the end of it when he lifts the city up into the air. Okay, that's all I have to say. I'm not going to tell you all the little details about what that whole thing's about, but he literally lifts his city up into the air. That is Enoch. That is that is an in-your-face taunt from the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they know more than you, and they're telling you something important, and nobody saw it. Hmm. I, if you saw that before it was pointed out to you, and you're listening to the Mind Virus show, and you associated that lifting of the city with Enoch, write it on the podcast. And, and Gordon talk, will have you on as a guest next week. I will talk to Bobby Flood and see if we want to make a t-shirt for you. <laughs> Bobby's the one that doesn't want to make these t-shirts. I'm always trying to give out t-shirts and he's like the stingy one. Just FYI. <laughs> he's not here to defend himself. He's not even in the state. Okay, so Hermeticism is attributed to Hermes, who is a, an Enoch figure or a Thoth figure or a, or a Mercury figure. He's the messenger of the gods. He has temple and teaching functions. He brings the knowledge from the gods to mankind. And so um, Hermeticism is, is named such because it Hugh Nibley has a not because Hugh Nibley has an article on it but if you want to go read more about it read Hugh Nibley's article One Eternal Round the Hermetic Version Vision um, or Version? Huh? Vision or Version? I thought it was Vision for a while I think it's the Hermetic Version mm. and isn't it in Old Testament and related studies? That sounds right or it could be in Temple and Cosmos I don't know. We're going to have to find that. I'll find that and post that on the website. So one eternal round. I'll, I'll post a link to the, the, the essay if you, want to, if you want to read through it. But he starts off and he says, Hermeticism is a body of knowledge that's been around since the beginning of time that's similar to the gospel. <laughs> and he goes through and he talks about Hermeticism and how Joseph Smith is involved in Hermetic studies. 
Because remember, we're talking about temple knowledge, knowledge coming from the gods, knowledge about how to connect to the heavens. And in the end, he Nibley is not willing to say that Mormonism is overtly hermetic or that hermeticism has it all. But he wa- he wants to point out that there are deficiencies in the record, but he's also not willing to say that it's not important. You know, he wants you to sh- see that it's very, very important. And just like the way we screw up the gospel, we've screwed up hermeticism. So he wants to sort of, I think, get you to merge the thinking of Christianity with the hermetic version or vision, <laughs> whatever it's called. And... Um, he wants you to look deeper into those subjects. And so those are subjects that are very much uh, apropos to the discussion on cosmology because the hermeticists have a lot to say about the nature of reality and, and where we come from. And the hermetic knowledge came out of Egypt, what we call the body of knowledge that Hunili was talking about. It came out of Egypt and it went through the uh, Islamist or Arabic uh, schools, you know, those, those their hands. It, it kind of came through their care and was discovered in the Renaissance by um, the Italians. Um, I think it was the Medici family. Mm, they were a nasty bunch. Well, according to the Netflix series, right? Well, I didn't see that one. But <laughs> according to the video game Twitch, I'm sure Bobby's played the Assassin's Creed stuff too. They're a nasty bunch. Keep but, the keep the mic or up. May, or maybe not. Maybe yeah. they're really good. I don't know. But, but a lot of people co-opt the Hermeticist. I mean, Alistair Crowley, who's you know an actual Satanist, co-opts the idea of being a Hermeticist too. Right. So if you go look up Hermeticism, you're going to find all kinds of crazy stuff online. But uh, this is, it can be taken a lot of different ways. I would say that it is essentially a body of knowledge that kept alive in a different way the teachings that Joseph Smith tried to restore in King Follett, the the eternal progression teachings. And Hugh Nibley does a really good job giving you a good overview in that essay. So if you want to know about it, go go read Hugh Nibley's essay on Hermeticism. And when I, when I talk about hermetic dualities, th- those are there. There are s- uh, seven hermetic principles that are generally attributed to these to this body of work, and one of those is polarity, which you have sort of manifest in. Lehi's discussion, and it's also manifest in the temple ritual, the, the, the Mormon temple movie, where, you know, the devil says it. He talks about, you know, good you need, and you evil, know, good and evil light and dark, virtue and vice, pleasure, pleasure and pain. Pain, yeah. So that's a very hermetic way to be looking at, looking at things, and Lehi does it too. He says, he's talking about states that are different than the state that God is in. If there were no if there were no God, you know, God, God can only be because he's different. He can only be God, God because he's different. And so if there were no God, there would be nothing in opposition to God. But since he is God, there are states that are opposite to or, or in opposition to God. And therefore, it must needs be that there's opposition in all things. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just is. It doesn't say that God created the opposition, that which I sense. think is... A new concept, if you've been through the the regular Sunday school classes, mm-hmm. 
right? I mean, we're taught that the op- God required the opposition. But no, that's just a state of being uh, that is separate or different from God. So that's the long, long, lengthy, circuitous... Hermetic dualism. Uh, discussion on Hermeticism and Ultron and the city getting lifted up. <laughs> Did you forget where we were at, Mrs. T? Nope. Uh, okay, go I ahead. Was wondering, <laughs> I guess I was wondering if Hermetic dualism was different than just dualism. Uh, well, what do you mean by dualism, I guess? I'm not... I just think of dualism as hot, cold, wet, uh, well, dry. Yeah. That, yeah. They could be... Up, they could be yeah, a lot of things I guess could be dual. I guess I mean, it's possible that 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 sort of discussion of the uh, of opposites like that are in, in a in a temple teaching context would be attributed to the Hermetic line of thinking. Now we would think of that as very elementary school. You know, we just teach people what opposites are, right? But right. as it relates to the nature of God, did God create His opposite? Right. That's where it starts to get a little harder to understand. Does heat create cold? Right. Every, every now and then you hear people speculate that, like, you know, the devil was necessary or even that, like, Lucifer was in on the joke and he was, like, called to be, the, which I He's totally He's playing reject, the role. Which I totally reject, yeah. Is, but, but I think it's... Feeling that there has to be a devil. There does not have to be a devil, but... But there will be opposition. Well, there's always opposition. Opposition does not require a devil is what we're saying here. I right? think what we're saying is yeah. when there are gods, there are always devils. Oh. Always, wouldn't there be if the, if 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 there is no state opposite to God, mm-hmm. then ha, then He would cease to be God. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I thought you were saying in the podcast on in that section. I was like, it was getting a little bit hard for me to follow because it's kind of this abstract. Is, yeah, this is the mind bending stuff that you you really ought to people ought to be thinking about. You you've got to be thinking beyond the dogmas to how things really are you know i'm me you're you we're separate from each other but once you break from if you want to maintain a belief in god but you're going to break from some of the dogmatic western traditions like say protestantism or catholicism or something whatever you've learned of that whatever good's in them i'm not trying to assail the good that's in them it's just people end up taking these things dogmatically and literally right well, if you break from that and you're like, okay, I'm not into this whole the earth was created in seven days thing anymore. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned looking at that as a metaphor instead of or a... Or 7,000 years for that matter. Or 7,000 years. Yeah. It, it, and that is also abstract language in, in mm-hmm. Doctrine and Covenants section 77, I think it is. That's, you can't take a thousand years to be literally a thousand years mm-hmm. when it comes from an ancient tongue because that's just a long time. That's, and Joseph's tongue was an ancient tongue. Who? Joseph. Yes. Yeah, he was an ancient man. Or a, a man, uh, he's an anachronism. He mm-hmm. he had learned um, from the ancients and, and, of course, from the heavens. And he was a man outside of, <laughs> he was in the, in the 19th century, but <laughs> mm-hmm. his mind was not focused on the things that those people were focused on. That's one of the ma- main points I was trying to make, I think, mm-hmm. in the cosmology discussion. Well, anyway, um, uh, w- remind me where we're at now. Well, well, 
you know, you talked about the harmonious cosmos in the cosmology podcast. And I think in the Terra system, I would imagine there's opposition, but not evil. Like opposition doesn't have to mean evil, right? Like I think about, you can learn, like, like I think about the ways that you try to teach your children, you know, you don't need to bring suffering, pain and evil into their existence to try to teach them, but there's always opposition in the right, sense and then of they, in growth. Through their actions, they tend to cause suffering and pain and, and, and they, they tend to manifest the opposition that's within them until they conquer that or it becomes refined out of them or whatever. So that's but at the same time they're of course they're not organizing armies, navies, false priests, yada yada. Right. That, they're they're just being kids. That's where I was going with this is that if you don't recognize the nature of um like like if you want to leave the Christian dogmas and you want to stay stay um connected you want you still want some spirituality the the thing that's left generally is new age spiritualism or eastern eastern spiritualism which generally teaches that we're all one mm-hmm. we all come from the same ball of light or god has split himself into thousand pieces and or bazillions of pieces and we're all just different parts of the divine seeing through different eyes and then we're going to go back to this oneness if if you don't see god as a separate individual from you then you don't have an explanation for evil because mm-hmm. it's all just moral relativism. It's all just trapped within you. And then, and then the Hitlers of the world we, are an we, extension of God, apparently. Right, yeah. right. We can't. We can't really. And of course, I'm sure the the the, the real you know Buddhists and Hindu thinkers have thought these things through. But but who knows? What, I don't know what they think. And and we and we just caricaturize it was even when we're Westerners pretending to be Eastern, we really don't know what we're talking about. Probably. Right. Right, but if you, if you don't have a God separate from yourself, then you don't have an yes. abject evil separate from yourself, and you have a hard time understanding this Plato's cave where the, the guys behind you are, are controlling the narrative, They're, and it's unknown to you. It's, you don't see the machine world of the Matrix. You, you're, you're unwilling to grapple with the true nature of the existence, which is that there is a war going on, mm-hmm. and there are very, very evil individuals that are not you, that are not evil, that are not, you're not evil, we hope, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, even though you may have opposition in you that you're not God yet, right? If, if, you have, if you have God and Satan on the two ends of the spectrum, there's a lot of area there in between, a, a variation, variegation of mm-hmm. uh, light. And so if, if you don't see it that way, you miss the whole point that evil is different. Evil is evil. Mm-hmm. And it exists independent of yeah. God. In and, opposition to God, and God, but God was God long before Lucifer was Satan, right? But you're you're here in, caught in a, a tug of war. You get to yeah. go either to one side or the other side, and your actions and your thoughts and what you study and what you uh, internalize, who you become through this experience. That is the war. That's what's uh, pulling at all of us. And so, um. I forget why we're. <laughs> why again? Some, this is this is the trouble is. with the with the podcast. But I forget why we're exactly we're we're talking about the um, the nature of of existence because that, that's a that's a critical point. I think that I probably left out of the cosmology discussion is that you know th- this is this is a very 
this is very much in between the two schools of thoughts, the, the dogmatic Christianity where you are being trifled with and then the Eastern mystical schools where, you know, you're trying to reconnect to the, to the oneness. Somewhere in the middle is what Hugh Nibley calls in Treasures in the Heavens the old literalism, which is what Joseph Smith restored in 1844. He says, and he was restoring it all along, but here he plainly says it. God is a man. It sits enthroned in yonder heavens. He's an exalted man. And, and the secret is you must watch, walk the same path that all the other gods have before you, going from a small degree to a greater degree, from grace to grace, from exaltation to exaltation, until you can sit down to dwell with those who dwell in everlasting burnings. That's not an exact quote. That's a paraphrase. Mm-hmm. But that's... But it, that, that idea of grace to grace, it actually makes a bit more sense if you think about it in the, more of this cosmos view versus doing it all in this life and and things like that that it's actually it's an eternal yeah. process mm-hmm. it's an many on, levels and it, many it, lo- yeah yeah it was going on before and it will go on after yeah and you um well, i think you, we addressed this in the in the in the cosmology podcast but the point is this is not a one and done scenario unless you decide you're loyal to satan and then you can be done you can then. be done but you didn't. You didn't start here. You, this wasn't the beginning of your progression, and uh, the the point is not to end here. The point is to continue onward until uh, you or uh, you, whoever, mm-hmm. has uh, become refined to the point of being a fiery, glorious, godly being. And we just don't talk about that anymore. We don't yeah. talk in those terms about stuff like that. In our, at least in our culture anymore. We mm-hmm. used to, I think. We used to, it used to at least be more... Mind-expanding back then. Yeah, uh, it used to be more um, acceptable to, mm-hmm. to have discussions along those lines. And I think at this point, we're sort of structured in such a way that we can't... Th- those are not acceptable topics. So would you say, like, outside of the fallen world in the harmonious cosmos, is there opposition is there hot and cold? Is there good and bad? Is there murder? I don't know that I was going there, murder. but yeah, that's that, that's the question. Is do the, the really awful things are there wars and? I just meant is there duality? Yeah, I think so. Is there always duality? I think so, but in the in the harmonious cosmos, remember the cosmos. There's the living world, and we're in a we're in a state of opposition, so we're cut off, and. If if there are, um, if there's gradation, if there if there are a wide variety of states in between, then yeah, you're going to have some of those, but only those that are not in opposition, direct overt opposition to God, are going to be included in the living cosmos. Now remember, as I tried to explain, the living cosmos would be the system, cosmos from the Greek kosmeo, meaning the system of progression. So you, we're dealing with a very abstract con, con, uh, concept here. It's not that there aren't other dark worlds that are being, you know, the, we, the, the issue is that in the narratives, the darkness isn't really addressed. There is one, there is, uh, one point of reference that I've seen, at least one that I, that's coming to mind right now, which is in the, again, the essay Treasures in the Heavens, where Hugh Nibley talks about the the evil ones pirating the ships of light and using the loot to outfit their own dark worlds. And then he links to uh, 
the Psalm of Thomas, and uh, he's referring to a passage about um, a ship of light that is uh, attacked and taken over, and the the treasures of it are used to create this this dark world, and then the the mighty one has to come back and take back the whole. You read that treasure. poem about three hours and forty five minutes into the. I did. I did. I read that in yeah. the podcast. A lot of it. Yeah. So, so what exactly is the treasure? Are we talking about dirt? Are we talking about souls? Are we talking about what is the? Well, I think that's a pretty the advanced. Stuff that the space pirates. That, that's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty advanced. That's kind of silly when you say space pirates, but here we are. Um, yeah, sure, sure, and and that's. Uh, I think that's some good imagery. You know, there was mm-hmm. uh, there have been lots of space movies. The mm-hmm. Avengers are, in fact, the premier mm-hmm. <laughs> narrative going on right now, at least, where you see space. Uh, pirates and and travelers and ships and whatnot going between the worlds, but so what is the tr- what are the treasures of the heavens? That's I think people should go out and ponder on that a little bit more before we get mm-hmm. too specific okay. about what those what those treasures are. But you know, you you ought to pose yourself the question that Jesus posed about the Sabbath day. You know, was was the Sabbath made for man or man made for the Sabbath? Mm-hmm. Was man made for the Sabbath or the Sabbath for man? That's mm-hmm. I think the order that he put it in. What what's the point? What's the yeah. point of the creation? Is the point of the creation to create a physical world, or was the point to advance the souls yeah. on their journey to Godhood? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And if we're talking about abstract concepts now, and if our if our audience is now past the point of worrying about okay, the Earth being created in seven days, and this is physically how the dry land, you know, this is how plate tectonic works. God separated the land from the sea, and here's how the plants were made. He planted plants, and then there were fish that he made, and they all just appeared on the scene and that's how the physical world was created. If, if, if we're past the point of looking at that as a science lesson and we look at it as a meta science, a metaphysical explanation of, of, you know, (laughs) who we are Mm -hmm. and what we're doing, mankind, because mankind is obviously unique and different from all the animals here. That's that's the big question, you know. What are what are the treasures? What's on mm. the ship? What it sounds like souls, and uh, <laughs> and, and somebody's got to be the John McClane and uh, y- the, yes. <laughs> there you go. Think about it. Think okay. If you're listening to this podcast, go out and think deeply, ponder solemnly. What is the what is the point? I mean, this is, these are the terrible questions, mm-hmm. right? Like, what is the point? Why are we here? Is there really something that comes afterwards? Is this all there is? Is this all there is? That's a terrible question. Mm-hmm. It ought to be considered far more uh, seriously than I think, I think we do. Because if there is, and that's the whole uh, conundrum of religion. It's like, it's an explanation for the idea that what you do here matters. Yes. How you think matters. What you end up knowing matters. Um, is that really the case? I think our, I think our listeners uh, on the show here, they, 
I think they would agree. I mm-hmm. think they we've we've probably chased off of those that <laughs> that can't stomach mm-hmm. this kind of a discussion. I I wonder. I do wonder. I mean, I really would invite. Again, I do this all the time. I, I would invite you to post your thoughts and comments and uh, onto the uh, website. If we've if we've created an echo chamber, then I guess mm-hmm. we'd like to find that out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but we, I hope this is a, a, an open ended, uh, appealing discussion for many people because these are the the terrible questions that mankind has struggled with f- since the beginning. Yeah, for anyone who's thinking about anything. Yeah. And for me, since I've you know like small child, we've been thinking about these kind of things. And I'll talk louder. Yeah, just talk louder. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Now you're talking louder. Okay. But uh, I'm fiddling with the. Uh, well, when you were saying some of those things, it it sounded a lot like the list of, um, you know, when you were quoting from lectures on faith, the actual knowledge that the course of life is according to the will of God, um, the course of life being what information to receive, what ideas you throw out, how to spend your time, who to associate, what we support in our culture, all the, you know, the the way we create the world we are in, that how, um, you know, when your question is, you know, going back to we want to begin right to end right, and um, that was your question. Yes, I know. Like I've thought about that a lot. That um, one of the the criteria that um, Joseph had for faith is the actual knowledge that the course of life that they're pursuing is according to the will of God. Um, that's a really hard thing to get. And questioning with that and talking and, you know, I often think in terms of, I think because we're in a finite mindset and we're not in an eternal mindset here that um, we may not have the, the long suffering, long view that God has in terms of, you know, being patient that, you know, our course of life is um, might be a bit meandering as we try to figure out, um, you know, what it is that God would have us do, um, because it is hard to figure that out, and it's um, and we make mistakes along the way, and and you know that that's not the problem making the mistakes, but being able to, um, you know draw close to him and be connected to him. And, um, and, and I mean, where do you feel like the actual knowledge comes from that you're on that course of life that God wants you to be on, that you're living according to God's will? How have you found that? Right. Uh, he says, knowing, not believing merely, which is a high bar, a very high bar says the saints knew they didn't merely believe and yeah i want to be really careful about this one because you know in the end god is the judge god will determine who goes where and who is saved and who is not right salvation is the first major 
problem that we have. We, we're in a fallen world where we're held captive by the devil. Therefore, we must be saved. And this, these concepts of faith, repentance, and salvation, they get bandied about and have been bandied about for so long in so many ways that they're, they're almost, it's flavorless. It's like, it's like salt that's lost its savor. It's like words that have no meaning anymore because they've, they've been overused. Like, or have you been saved? I've been saved. I've, I know, I remember the day that I was saved. I confessed Christ as my savior. Um, well, Joseph Smith said that if you were going to exercise faith unto salvation, you needed to have actual knowledge, not mere belief. A high, a high bar, a very high bar, depending on what you consider to be knowledge, actual knowledge, right? He's in other places brought up the idea that it was it was one thing to be able to look into the heavens and see the beings there. It was a whole different thing to have your voice proclaimed upon the mountain as having been faithful and to know. And so I think that this this is getting getting back to the discussion that I brought up about Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3 about how the ancients were vouched for through faith the ancients were vouched for that th- this is the what we would call the testimony of Jesus. It's there's a couple of places in scripture where the testimony of Jesus is brought up. One is section 76 of the doctrine and covenants and receiving the testimony of Jesus is sort of a criteria for being brought into the celestial world or potentially at some point receiving it being in the terrestrial world. And um, what that means is that Jesus vouches for you. He gives you knowledge, not mere belief, but he gives you what I think in, in the end of Moses chapter six is called the words of eternal life, which lead to eternal life in the world to come. This is the, the Lord saying, you will have eternal life. I pro- I give you the promise. I vouch for you. I, you know, I've accepted you, whatever calls you a son or a daughter directly. There's a lot of ways I think that this could be that a person could experience this, but it would be to be told you're part of the family of God. You un, unequivocally, undeniably, not <laughs> without, uh, you know, without any confusion, you know, you don't merely believe it. And so does that come by the voice of God? Do you have to have an open vision? Do you, um, is it possible to receive it after this life? I think all those things are possible, but I think Joseph Smith is not just implying, but directly saying that you need to seek out uh, God <laughs> to tell you these things, you know, that to tell you that you're on the right track, that you're doing what he wants. And why would you need to be doing what he wants? Is, he, is it because he's a micromanager or is it because you had been sent down into this world to perform functions relative to correcting the disharmonious cosmos relative to fighting the war, fighting on the side of the, the gods of light to correct the wrong, to right the wrong, to, to take the ship back, so to speak, to play off of the Psalm of Thomas and the ships there. So that's, I think, I think that, uh, 
I think that a person can be told that they're on the right track and be given fairly tangible hints and signs and um, what I'd call knowledge, not necessarily great knowledge, but knowledge in a way leading to greater knowledge. This is, again, the language that Abraham uses at the start of Abraham chapter 1, where he says, I wanted to possess great knowledge and be a, a possessor of even greater knowledge and a follower of righteousness and a greater fo- and then become a greater follower of, of righteousness he he has these this layering of um, knowledge and righteousness and i think that's typical of everybody that's here in this world as you continue to go through uh, leveling up but it it should end with personal um a personal interaction with the Lord at some, at some point it, it's going to involve the Lord and so you don't want to pin down exactly what it is, but, but it does need to be something that's actually real. I, mean, I think it has it, to be real. It, yeah. It I think it has to be supernatural. That's mm-hmm. the word that I would use here is it's going to have to be something supernatural that you know, unmistakably. Yeah. God is pleased with what I'm doing here. And that's tough. That's tough because you know, we, <laughs> at least from where I came from, people weren't having a lot of angelic ministration or the Lord wasn't appearing to everybody all the time. It was, this, it was sort of this idea that it was reserved for higher ups and it's already been, God's already done his work. And so just follow the program and you don't need to try to go after those things. But they, but they were clearly written in Joseph Smith's works. And so that there was always a cognitive dissonance there for me that these things were really important. But then, you know, God speaks to us in a lot of different ways. And he speaks to each person individually and in their own language. And so who am I to say what that's going to look like or what it's going to be, that you're being told by God that he's pleased with what you're doing. So it's it's a conundrum. It's a, it's a matter of faith. <laughs> it's a difficult... Um, concept that everyone should grapple with. Everyone really should be asking this terrible question. Okay, well, if that's the case, why am I here? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I learning what I'm supposed to be learning? Am I associating with whom I'm supposed to be associating with? Am I experiencing what I'm supposed to experience? Or, you know, am I just chasing the treasures of the earth and not paying any attention to this stuff? You know, I, I like to compare the Mormons to the uh, born agains. We just have a longer checklist, you know? <laughs> no, I like in the end of that quote, it talked about this actual knowledge that the ancients had, that it was this that enabled them to endure all their afflictions and persecutions and to take joyfully the spoiling of their goods, knowing not merely believing that they had a more enduring substance and I think what you talked about with Hebrews when you went through the Greek derivations of those words that it helped me understand that more that instead of saying like they had a more enduring su- substance, it's like saying they had better evidence, better proof, better process. They had a better process of coming to know of the heavenly things, that that's what that really means. And that when you have that better um evidence better proof of coming to know the heavenly things that you know that helps one endure 
those really difficult um, challenges that you go through. Well, I would I would go further and say that, that it was the knowledge that helped him to endure it. it the process itself was um, part of the suffering, right? The suffering or the or the the proving was part of the process. You receive no witness until after the trial of your faith, which faith is supposed to be again correct understanding of the actual reality reality simultaneously the means of finding out the actual reality and and so by in, engaging in that process they they would have you've got to you've got to factor in Alma's discussion in Alma 32 33 and 34 Amulek 2 in there with the idea that the word the correct knowledge the word taught by somebody like Alma is what you plant in your heart, and then that's what grows like a seed. It's not faith that is like a little seed. Our, our, our primary song is incorrect there. Faith is not the little seed. It's Alma's words that are the little seed, and you plant that, and if it grows and it resonates... I guess that's consistent with the parable, too, where it falls on stony ground or good dirt. and Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's very much yeah. consistent. I think you'll find that these are consistent ideas throughout Scripture. Mm-hmm. When um, Moroni says that Ether went and prophesied from morn until night to the people that they should have faith in God or believe in God unto repentance, but they would not believe because they saw not those things. That's very consistent with what I'm talking about. He says he prophesied, so we think he's foretelling something, but that's not the way the sentence is constructed. They didn't believe because they didn't see those things, meaning that the things were present tense. He was prophesying. He was speaking forth. He wasn't necessarily speaking of the future. He mm-hmm. was speaking out, forward. Of and, what's really out there, the big stuff, the, the things that matter. Yeah, and he and, and they didn't believe it because they couldn't see this hidden reality. And they were unwilling to change their minds, repent, adjust, massively shift their paradigm to an understanding of what's going on. And therefore, Moroni says... I would show unto the world that faith is things which are hoped for, which are not seen. <laughs> these things that are hoped for, which are not seen. Wherefore, dispute not... Not anything, you, but these particular these things. These particular things that Ether was teaching about. The place at the right hand of God, the unseen world. That's what he says in Ether chapter 12. And so, therefore, Moroni says, I don't dispute because you don't see it. Because you receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. And then he talks about you receiving the heavenly gift to be able to see that into the heavens or be able to receive this promise of knowledge that uh, Mrs. T here has been talking about. That that's this heavenly gift that you can also be a partaker of that heavenly gift if you will but have faith. Hmm. And remember, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what are the ingredients to faith? The ingredients are correct understanding of the character perfections and attributes of God and the cosmos of the of the true story I think is I think that's part of it and as Paul said it simultaneously is the means of finding it out because that will lead to a, a cyclical or circular spiral type of a pattern where you're you're going to keep moving upward and your 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 experiences with the divine will continue to uh, be enhanced. And I think part of that process is that the individual becomes more sensitive to God working upon them because 
this being the fallen world, we're always expecting to see God out there in some massive manifestation, right? But we're, we also know in sort of a cognitive dissonance that God is not in the whirlwind, he's not in the tempest, he's not in the fire, but he's in the still small voice. And so where, where was it that, God's, that the gods manifest themselves to Joseph Smith? Was it exactly over his head? That's what he said, but mm-hmm. how did you got to ask yourself the question? If someone was someone else was there in the grove that day, would they have seen it? Would they have seen it? Yeah, because where was Joseph Smith? Was he was he seeing that with his physical eyes, or was he transfigured before God? Was he out of body? Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly what that was, but he clearly had the prototypical throne theophany type of a vision where he saw the concourses of angels, he saw the Father and the Son descending out of the light tunnel or the light, the fiery conduit, whatever you want to call that, the opening up into heaven. And a lot of people want to use the different versions of the, um, of the first vision to say Joseph was disingenuous and he's making this stuff up, when in reality, the totality of them make his, uh, his experience even more authentic, that he saw all of those things. He just never explained the, the totality of it ever. He probably only expra- explained a minute fraction mm-hmm of what he saw and experienced because that's what the guys that peer into the heavens always say. They come back and say things like you would see at the end of DNC section 76, like God showed us things that were unlawful to utter. Neither can it be made known by the tongue of man. And, you know, so we, it was unlawful and we couldn't tell you even if we, yeah. So those are two separate things Tried when you're banned, but you don't really need to be banned because you can't explain it anyway. You can't really explain it in any way. And, uh, you know, God reserves to sh- these things to show people who uh, love him and purify themselves before him. So it's, it's, a strange, <laughs> it's a strange situation that Joseph finds himself in. He has seen the outside world, outside of Plato's cave. He's seen the light, he's seen the sun, and he's back in the cave explaining to the people who are chained to the wall, looking at the fire, and that's all they've ever known. Well, you know, the, the, the people in the cave would be like, Joseph, well, we don't believe you because you said the, to this guy that you saw a grasshopper and we don't know what a grasshopper is. And this guy said you saw a sparrow, a bird in, in flight, and that's not a grasshopper. And so you must be a charlatan. I mean. <laughs> and that was one of the, the questions I was thinking about talking about today is when you get to see outside of the cave, how do you ever, how do you start to talk to the people inside the cave. I think when you think about it from that perspective, you have a lot more compassion on someone in that role of how do you even do that? We've seen plenty of TV shows where someone has to like try to explain that like, I don't know, there's time travel or, you know, something that people can't. Right. And no one believes until they've seen a little bit of it themselves. Usually they have to have, you know, they need some kind of um, evidence, but I think, the Plato's cave is a good analogy. You know, you said in the cosmology podcast, um, you were talking about, um, the, uh, the secret supper, the book of John, the evangelist and how they use the phrase, the father invisible. Right. And you talked about how Joseph Smith taught that we can approach and know him, but he's hidden in the deep. He's, and you said he's not accessible to us. The the deep for those who don't know. What is the deep for those? Yes. What is the deep? You're asking me? No, I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm asking anybody who in this room who will answer it to me. 
Well, okay, for, for brevity's sake, the great deep is the, the night sky to an ancient person. It's this, this ocean of the night sky, and the creatures in the deep are the constellations and the, and the zodiac partic- in particular. And um, that's also synonymous with the ancient heavens. Those are the heavens. They are the high, high above us. And so Amun, the father... And Joseph Smith did explain that that was the name of the father, which surprisingly matches the ancient name of uh, the father God in Egypt, Amun, 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 uh, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Anyway, he is, one of his epithets, uh, one of his descriptive titles is hidden in the deep, the invisible one. He's hidden because he's beyond the veil of the, the world and its visible heavens. Or, or it's invisible heavens. Even he's, <laughs> you, you've got to kind of get your mind uh, adjusted to the way the ancients would think of things. They really would look at this world as if it were cut off, if as if it were Plato's cave, which included the fire and everything. And then the the father is somewhere outside the cave. He's invisible to that whole system. And so the the metaphor is that the the visible heavens are representative of the spirits that are here in this in this sphere and that affect us in this this sphere. Meaning they're they're invisible so those to us. Are kind of invisible too. Say that again. Even though those spirits are kind of invisible too. Right. As well, for me, all spirits are. Right, but they they uh, definitely the ancients definitely were more superstitious in the in the truest sense of the word. They they looked up and thought that that world was. That they they were they believed it sacred, right? They believed their lives were sacred. That they were interlinked with something greater than themselves, rather than just uh, like we do in the modern world, living a profane life where everything is scientific and there's really not not much happening behind the scenes that we don't see. So so yeah, we don't we don't see it, and yeah, it is it is invisible to us. But there are many gifted people who do report that they've seen it, and many uh, families have ghost stories. They have. Some people have no friends that have a haunted home or have seen a, you know, somebody that they know has seen a spirit or had a supernatural manifestation. So it's definitely in our culture that that's a real thing. But, uh, but yeah, the father invisible is hidden in the great deep. He's, he's beyond the sky in a way is the way I'd put that. And the rest of that, quote I was quoting what you said is if you're going to see the father you're going to have to get out of this world and when you said that I immediately wrote down as a question you know so what about the first vision mm-hmm. um, you know do we think of the first vision like I, I like the analogy of like the first vision is Joseph's getting to see outside the cave like he had to leave the cave to see the father uh-huh. would you say it in that regard well the father you know, John, the beloved, made the comment that no man at any time has seen the Father, you know, that you can't see the Father in the flesh. You have to be transfigured is, some, is kind of the way we've explained that. And I think that's correct, it, it, that individuals who go beyond, meaning out of their bodies or, or have, have the vision, um, it's not to have the vision opened up, to be, but to be caught up in the vision, meaning they were caught up or transfigured before God they would be um, potentially able to see the Father invisible if they were 
seeing into the heavens because he is hidden in the deep, which is technically where he would be. So Joseph seeing the father in the first vision isn't, uh, isn't really a contradiction there. If you consider the fact that the light, the light that he was caught up in, you know, Joseph, Joseph says, um, how, how did he put it in, um, Let's let's look at this really quickly here in the Joseph Smith history. Right. Well, you were looking that up. I just I like the Plato's cave analogy with the different versions of the first vision that you have. Is is you can just imagine someone trying to come back and tell people things that they don't have a context to understand. They how difficult that is. Right, and for us, it's it's very arrogant for us to think that he would have told us everything and right. that somehow we can catch him in his words because he has different des- descriptions of different different descriptions of what he what he saw one of the one of the big hang-ups people have is with with his first account is that he said i went to god because i couldn't find um i couldn't find the church of god on the earth i i had decided all the churches were wrong and then um because in Joseph Smith history here in the Wentworth letter, he said, I went to God and asked him which church to join uh, and that I'd never thought that they would all be wrong. They think they see that as a contradiction. I don't see that as a contradiction. I see that as a repentant, a humble soul saying, I can't find the one. God, tell me which one. I, I clearly think they're all wrong. So which one should I join? It's, it's not contradictory. It's sort of complementary if you look at it with a different, a different lens here. And so here's the different lens to view verse 17 from uh, the Wentworth letter, Joseph Smith history. He says, it no sooner appeared. He said, uh, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head. And, and in some of the accounts, pillar of light is crossed down. It says pillar of fire. Pillar of light exactly over my head above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. It no sooner appeared than I found myself delivered from the enemy, which held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defile description standing above me in the air. When the light rested upon him. So he's seeing it as if the light is coming to him. Is he, is he, in, what, what he's experiencing here, we've never really spent a lot of time talking about, right? Because it's, it ends up being taboo, the technical details of it. But is it an interdimensional rift opening up a portal? Is it the the bifrost of the Norse mythology where the rainbow bridge opens up and they come they come out of this light channel? Did they come out of the light channel or did they bridge heaven and earth and the light rests upon him and he is now on the verge of heaven? We, we don't we don't think of it that way. We always the paintings always depict this light and and then the father and the son are in the grove rather than Joseph having been transfigured and brought closer to heaven. Or, or, or the barrier between heaven and earth having been, the veil having been lessened or removed and a portal opens up. We, d- we just don't look at it that way. But getting back to the Avengers stuff, you have an interesting motif or, or symbol in, the, in those movies, that, which is the sling ring portals, where you have literally... That's the stuff from the Chang Shi guy, Dr. Strange's buddy? The, the portals? The portals, the... Say it again. The, is that the one from, from uh, 
Doctor Strange's friend, the, the portals that he makes. Uh, Wong. Yeah, yeah, Wong. Wong, yeah, and Strange makes the portals too, yeah, right? Okay, he has right, yeah. in the first in the first Doctor Strange movie, he has some difficulty making a portal, and they so that's they right. strand grabs, him on. A, he grabs stuff through it. And yeah, yeah they he, strand him on a mountaintop, freezing, and he has to, for survival's sake, he has to be able to work the sling ring portal, and he does. He comes, or do, yeah, he does come back, right? They don't rescue mm. him. I can't, yeah, I can't remember. remember either. But uh, but then he gets so good at it that he's able to steal books out of the library by just putting his hand through and then pulling it back to his room, right? Yeah. Well, they anyway, that's... Beyonce and yeah. We, we bring up the Avengers because so many people have seen this, but there's an example of two different time spaces being merged and, you know, you could see from one into the other. So does that mean the father is no longer hidden in the deep now that the hiding veil has been pulled back for Joseph? Mm-hmm. He's the father invisible right up until he's, he's invisible to Joseph right up until the veil is removed. And did he ever condescend to come down here to this earth? No, he was Joseph sees into the heavens. That's what's typical of all these ancient visions. These th- what we'd call a throne theophany where somebody like Isaiah sees into the heavens or um, Ezekiel sees into the heavens and mm-hmm. sees the throne of God. It's like, <laughs> what are they really experiencing? It's incredible the hubris or the you know arrogance of uh, of us to think we understand what these guys are experiencing and to put such dogmatic put them into such dogmatic terms and then say well it couldn't be true right it it just must not be true it must just be their imagination when we've never had that experience. Mm-hmm. And then they, these guys come back, devote their lives to teaching about certain things, leave re- copious records that move societies and, and influence people, and then often they die for their beliefs. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they must be lunatics, right? Mm-hmm. Or they or they yeah, experience or, something yes. that caused them to go through those, to to be able to uh, joyfully take the spoiling of their goods and, and the persecution and all of that stuff, which is what you brought up uh, from Lectures on Faith. Anyway, where are we at? Well, we were just... um, Usually I don't forget, but I know we were talking about... um, Well, we were talking about Plato... Well, we were talking about the first vision and being... The Father Invisible. The Father Invisible and, you know, and thinking about the first vision like through the lens of Plato's cave and through the lens of thinking about, um, I, I sort of put the question up of if you've seen outside the cave, you know, what is it like to try to, to tell people still in the cave and feeling kind of compassion for that? Because that's a very difficult responsibility and, and it's, it's just, it's hard, you know, um, to, to think about how one does that and, um, and I've heard you, I don't remember if it was in the cosmology or a different podcast talking about what a bridge builder is and how Joseph had to do that and how he was starting with what people's contexts were. And I could see how, you know, you might try to explain something. If it doesn't go well, you try a different way to explain it. Mm-hmm. And then it sounds like you're changing your story. Right. Or, you know, or not that it wasn't going well or something, but you're like, okay, you know, here's maybe a better way to explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or or the entire um, city that you're part of melts down and goes crazy, and the <laughs> they chase you out, or you have to leave 
in the middle of the night or whatever because people are angry with what's going on and they blame it on you because you're the charismatic leader that everyone has attached their wagon to. I mean, that's the interesting thing about Joseph Smith. Everyone wanted a piece of him. Everyone wanted to uh, ride on his coattails of credibility. It's like if you if you were going to be able to market your ideas, you needed somehow to cash in on Joseph Smith's credibility and and his charisma to get people to buy into whatever you were doing. This is this is no different than society today. In fact, on the American frontier, it was probably more more so quite tumultuous right yeah. mm-hmm. uh, i'm imagining the oh, i don't know there's a lot of uh, good old westerns you can uh, you can point to as far as the types of things people think might have been going on in, in the american west the movie maverick where they they've got the big uh, gambling competition going on and the interplay between the mel gibson character and and all the other people that are trying to get a piece of the money and <laughs> all the shenanigans they're playing with each other to, and they're holding a, a reputable card game <laughs> on a, on a steamboat. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, 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 we don't, when we liken the scriptures to ourselves, and this is something we talked about, I think last week relative to the chosen, when we liken the scriptures to ourselves, we're always superimposing, imposing our culture on them rather than seeing, trying to understand what it was really like for them to then take the important concepts and liken them to ourselves. Does that make sense? It's mm-hmm. we took our tax code and put it into the the chosen. We took our our treatment of the Iraqis <laughs> or the communist treatment of their own people and superimposed that on the Romans. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it, we blew the whole context out of the water. We don't we have no basis for really understanding what was going on then because we've changed the whole uh, environment in which the the events occurred. Yeah. So it's a little weird. Well, anyway, what we've been going for almost two hours now. Do you have any final thoughts? Or, <laughs> um. <laughs> should we should we wrap up, or do you have really, uh, other burning really important burning ideas, do. questions, thoughts, comments, things you guys want to talk started. about? <laughs> we just got started. <laughs> well, not, we don't I, have to go for a record here. There, there's a learning curve with with this type of activity and talking in a microphone and all that. So you're probably feeling a little bit like you're starting to get down that learning curve a little bit and feeling more. Well, you two are having to pass the mic back and forth. We, yeah. we, uh, I should have brought a third mic. I didn't think about that. And, uh, <laughs> okay, we like snuggling up. Good. <laughs> Me and the missus, not us and, and, and Jordan. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> But no, um, yeah, there is a little bit of a learning curve to do uh, one of these uh, impromptu podcasts. I think we've done okay. Hopefully you listeners are enjoying it and you can let us know what you think and, and what your uh, thoughts and comments are. Are, are there any, um, any things you guys want to talk about as we uh, w- decide whether or not to wrap this up, I guess? Um, I don't know. I just, yeah, well, I, I like this cosmology. It's it presents the best, most coherent solution to the problem of theodicy that I can really think of. And, and that provides me hope and is, is been really good for me. So the question of evil is something that weighs heavily upon your, mm-hmm. your minds. Is that it's both why? not necessary and that God is not the author of it, nor did he really, it, it didn't need to be like this. Why does it weigh heavy on your mind? 
yeah, there's a lot of things I don't like about living in this world, and I kind of <laughs> wish we're better. I, I think a lot of people would agree with that. There, but there are a lot of good things that people experience here too. For sure, for sure. And uh, we have a, uh, I think it's a human tendency to try and find the best, you know, make the best mm. out of a bad situation. But it's, but it's also, that's, there's also a limit to how long a person can do that. And I think the world for almost everybody tends to push those limits mm. in some way or another. It's like, oh, you know, and how we handle that is part of the, part of the battle. It's part of the it's it's a strange thing because you know we, we it's so it would be so easy for us if we could if we could really fight it in the way that physical battles are fought because yeah. that's very clear it's very clear that someone is attacking you and <laughs> you know as Bobby and I have talked about though the the morality of all these wars isn't always clear yes. <laughs> you know who's who's fomenting it and and why are these young men having to fight with each other but uh, as we consider the cosmic war, the cosmic struggle, that that would seem to be more clear rather than we're caught in a in a false reality in a matrix and we're we're playing mind games with the devil that translate into very physical actions, yelling at people, uh, abuse, murder, theft, you know, um, ostracization, um, you know bullying, teasing, whatever it is. I mean, how we treat each other seems to be one of the key elements of that war, I think. Uh, Professor Nibley in, in his, it wasn't really autobiographical, but they did a, a documentary about his life called Faith of an Observer late in his life. So he was still around to comment and protest and, and uh, tell him what he thought, how that, how that documentary should go down. And he said that there's two things we can do. He said, we can forgive and we Mm -hmm. can repent. We can forgive and we can repent. And so on the one hand, you have an action that relates to your interpersonal interactions, right? Forgiving and, and having compassion. I think, uh, Mrs. T you were, you were pointing out that, you know, seeing beyond might give someone that perspective where they would have more compassion. And even just contemplating the beyond gives us, you know, contemplating a better structure, a better narrative for theodicy, for the, the question of evil, gives us more compassion and, and more, I think, a, a greater ability to forgive. And of course, it's totally linked to repentance or the metanoia, the changing of the heart and mind, the cosmic shift in the heart and mind, because, you know, once, once you're starting to see the world differently, the, that knowledge gives you, I think, power over the adversary. Yeah. And in this world of scarcity, we often see our neighbor as, as the enemy and, and we hold our grudges. And, and that's why forgiveness is so important is because eternity is a long time to be at war with your neighbor. <laughs> Wise words. And and if well if you're ever given any kind of cosmic power that war could get pretty ugly if uh, if uh, we both have godlike powers but for some reason hate each other it could potentially end up in a fallen Super, world yes and supernova sized <laughs> explosions and things of that nature many people getting hurt that yes didn't need to be hurt mm-hmm. yeah you were gonna say something I was just thinking back to. Um, 
something you said in the cosmology podcast you quoted from DNC 76 to whom he grants this privilege of seeing and knowing for themselves while in the flesh, they may be able to bear his presence in the world of glory and thinking about just those that he grants that privilege of seeing and knowing for themselves while in the flesh. That's an inspiring verse to me to know that that is something that, um, can occur. People can see outside the cave mm-hmm. while in the flesh and, um, and, and thinking about then being left with the mission of how to try to put it into words. Um, and something you said when you were talking about that, you talked about the study of cosmology should teach us who we really are. And, you know, I think how much, you know, at a, at a, I don't know what you would call it, secular or temporal sort of level. I think we're very obsessed with trying to understand ourselves. You think about personality tests and, um, you know, (laughs) people get very horoscopes, very involved in that and trying to understand who they are. That's so much of like the identity formation and what you go through in child development and the teenage years and trying so much is, is tied to understanding who you are and defining, um, who you are but that study of cosmology needing to be brought into you know that picture i think of the things we rely on when we you know try to go to things like myers-briggs or any of these things of Mm -hmm. we want to understand who we are and why we do things the way that we do them um and most of what we can access is the profane versus the sacred Mm -hmm. to help us understand um who who we are and um, you did a translation of Revelation 3.19. Those that I love, I convince with solid, compelling evidence and instruct by training. Therefore, desire earnestly to change and expand your mind. And that's why I like the discussion of cosmology and all of that. That's the prayer of my heart is to really desire to to have that, that desire for repentance and to be able to, um, you know, and, and I've heard you say this before that you look forward to finding out more to replace everything you think now that you can have even greater light and knowledge, even greater understanding that you can, um, you know, that, that you welcome that. I do. I do. I, I also do think there is a a correct paradigm, a correct narrative to start yes. from. And I hope this is what we've found here. But yeah, I mean, it, when God comes to you and blows your mind, believe it. <laughs> yeah. And this is all very mind-blowing stuff. It's a... Uh... Yeah, it's a lot to think about. Well, um, I think that's a good place to to wrap up right here. I really have enjoyed the discussion. I'm glad it's, it's been a little bit disjointed. We're, we're definitely podcast novices, even though Jordan has been doing this for a long time, setting up the studio (laughs) and getting, getting this all correct. Hopefully when this is produced and put out, it will sound, uh, listenable. It will, it will be good, but I I really appreciate it. I don't get my mouth close enough to the microphone. (laughs) No, it's okay. It's okay. I, I I think this has been good discussion. I've enjoyed uh, uh, being able to be here with you guys, Mr. TBM and Mrs. TBM. 
those, uh, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say too much mm -hmm. about that, but that is your actual commenter name Absolutely. on the, I am and always will be TBM <laughs> on the podcast page. Well, um, thank you for, for listening. You can find us on the internet at mindvirus.show. And we hope that you'll come and participate in the discussion on the website. You can listen to the podcast there and you can also find us on your favorite podcast aggregators. Uh, this is Jordan Bruno and Mr. T and Mrs. T. Uh, TBM? Mrs. TBM. <laughs> Signing off. Thanks for having us on. Thank, thank you very much. We'll hopefully hear from you later. Okay, everybody have a good week. Bye.